today we'll be hearing from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 21, read by Pastor Pia Flores. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so, also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Let's pray together. Lord, we know this word love, but as I get older, I realize more and more how massive and incomprehensible your love is. We see slivers of it and we feel it. We learn about it. But what we are challenged by is to live in love for others is a lifelong journey that seems to be a frustration at times. And so as we return to your word, remind us that you are not only the giver of love, that you are love. Help us to live into that as we are called out of darkness and death into life because of your greatest love shown in Jesus Christ. Help us to love, especially in times where our anger may boil over, where our Emotions may tell us that loving is the last thing we want to do. Forgive us and move us as your children by the power of your Holy Spirit to be those who know you and therefore know how to love. God, this is our prayer. Help us, Lord. Bless the world through your love again. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a story of a wedding and a little boy was supposed to read scripture. And the scripture text comes from 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. And the text was supposed to be, 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. However, to everyone's horror, the boy didn't read 1 John chapter 4. He read the Gospel of John chapter 4, verse 18. And that verse reads, For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. It's a, it's a funny story. I don't know if it's a true story or if it's anecdotal. But there is a Gospel of John, and there is a 1 John. There is a 2 John and a 3 John. And John also, we think, wrote Revelation. And so, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, I'm not sure if that's the best text for a wedding anyway, because it's not speaking about a, a man and woman's love for one another in marriage, but it's about how God's love drives out fear of judgment because he has captured us. And so we'll go into that. But there's this thought in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, as we jump right in. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So when we experience God's love and are saved in Jesus Christ, we have experienced and we have now fully known God and his love. And then he goes on, verse 8, anyone who does not love simply does not know God because God is love. So those three words, God is love. I mean, what a, it's a passing thought we teach the children, and what we tend to picture is this loving father, loving God, uh, like a peace sign with a heart, and a kind of a hippie-looking grandpa with long beard, just loving us. But God is more than loving, according to John. God is way more than loving. God is more than the source of love, the essence of God's entire being is love. That changes everything. So it's one thing to say our God is loving. <clears throat> it's a completely different meaning to say our God is love. So love not only originates from God, there is no true love without God. That really makes my brain itch. <laughs> that without God, capacity for love to even be in a world of non-religious people, it, it's impossible. So every love that we experience in this world is a shadow of the real thing, which is God's love. So when parents love their children and they feel that overflowing joy, that originates from the very nature of God. So why is God exclusively love? Compared to anything else, why is God the originator of love? And this comes back to why Christians believe in this strange concept called the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the Trinity, we see that God is one God, but three persons. One God, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If God was just one person and he existed before creation of the world by himself and just kind of I'm not sure where God would have come from, but God was one being, and there, were, there was not a three-person dynamic. Can one solitary being experience and enjoy, enjoy love? They may desire love. They may create for love, but in their essence, there cannot be real love. I can't be loving by myself if I lived on an island. I could love a tree. I could love a coconut. But the essence of real dynamic love happens in the realm of Trinity. And this is part of the reason why we see this dance of one God and three persons. Love originated from God who is triune. So some of us may be thinking, if God is love, the opposite of love is hate, so God cannot hate. And I would say, well, 
pump that brake a little bit. Because it doesn't mean God does not hate. Right? What does God hate? What are the things God hates? Lest we become contradictors of the Bible. In the Bible, when you read it, there are plenty of texts in there that shows us God hates. What does he hate? Well, let's see what he hates. He hates child sacrifices. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 31. That's a good thing. All the children should and youth should say hallelujah. God hates that. God hates sexual immorality of any kind. Adultery. Any, any kind of sexual immorality. Leviticus 20 tells us that. The whole Old Testament could be summed up by God hates sin and death and wickedness. Psalm 5 verse 6 tells us the Lord abhors. That's a strong word. I don't use that word. Like, I, I like broccoli. I, I don't like asparagus. I don't say I abhor asparagus. Psalm 5 verse 6 tells us the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Did you catch that? He mixes in there the sin as well as the person who lives into that. The Lord abhors bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Proverbs 6, 16, 19 tells us there are six things the Lord detests, seven that the Lord abhors. That's abominable to him. And let me list it for you. These are the things the Bible explicitly tells us God hates. Haughty eyes, which means you look down on other people condescendingly. Two, lying lips, purposely those who deceive people. God hates that. Killing the innocent, taking the lives of those who cannot defend themselves or are not deserving of any kind of violence. Plotting evil, those who are quick to do wrong, false witnesses, and lastly, those who spread division. I mean, just if the church could just focus on this or a family or even a body of friends, and we recognize this, we realize there are a lot of things we can probably repent of and say, God, you hate these things, and it's in us. God hates these things. Why? Ironically, because God is love. These things cannot co exist, coexist with love. And a loving being who allows these things to happen, violence, innocent murder, lying, deceitful, division in the church or the body or the world, a God who allows that and never condemns it or holds it accountable is not a God of love. He's a God of hate. And so we are tied to it, unfortunately, since birth to these sins. And because God is not just love, God is also holy, God holds these things to account. So God is love. That doesn't mean God doesn't hate and thankfully, he hates the sinful, wicked things. But the bad news is we're intermingled in this. So let's keep going. What, is the what are the implications of that truth? If God is love, what are the implications to us? Uh, let's jump right into this. We could cross out these from the list. If God is love, and for each one, please say amen at home with me. God is not wicked. Amen. If God is love, God is not deceitful. Amen. God is not resentful, God is not bitter, and God is not full of hate. God hates sin, but there's a difference between saying God is full of hate. Like this monstrous God who tells us to bow down and worship him or else he'll destroy us. That's not God. So God is love means so much more. And I wanted to turn our 
attention to uh, William Barclay. Just read a few commentaries, and this one, I realized I need to just share William Barclay's thoughts on this. If God is love, there are implications to our universe uh, with that truth. If you and I believe that the essence of God is a God who is love, not loving alone, not just a source of love, but God is love, These are, here are some implications, and they are good news. First, there's an implication, William Barclay says, about creation. If God is love, why did he create the world? He created the world to have a relationship with him. He didn't create the world as an experiment, as a project, just to see how it goes. Uh, there's a lot of mythology. There's a lot of fiction. There's a lot of theories about why this world might have created. It's just, to, it's just a sick experiment to see us kill each other. No, God created the world perfectly, and a relational loving God created it so that the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit can engage us. In other words, you were created not by accident. I was created not by accident. Humanity has a purpose, and the creation's purpose is to know and enjoy and love God forever. Psalm 145 verse 9 declares, The Lord is good to all, and his compassion is over all that he has made. We see it. We hear it. God is not just a, uh, just a creator, but he is an engager of that creation. Second, if God is love, this is good news. A lot of, a lot of uh, people who are skeptics may wonder about this. Free will is actually good news. In other words, God is love tells us that neither, we are neither robots nor forced to love God out of obligation. You have a choice to love God or not love God. You have free will. Why? Because love has to be the spontaneous voluntary act of devotion. Not just affection, but devotion. Uh, husband and wives may not always have affection, but they always cling to devotion out of love. That's why after you fight, you know, you get along and, and then you, you move on to that journey. Free will is a voluntary act of love, and God is causing us, choose, allowing us to choose God or to reject God. For me, that's freeing because a lot of us, we go to church and we think maybe God is brainwashing us and causing us to be religious but no, we see in, in a God who is love, he can't force us to love him. Love, true love is not coerced. True love is not threatened. Love allows us to have the permission. And so parents, tell your children, you know, I hope one day you love God because God loves you and he's shown it. But I can't force you to love God. In fact, when we try to force our children to love God, in a, in a very uh, brutal way or a disciplinary way, they do the opposite. And sometimes we have to give that space for the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to be planted and then the stirring and God's providential timing. In the meantime, we, we go to church, we guide them, we show them, we model for them what loving God looks like. And so we see this. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, God tells Adam before Eve came, hey, um, here, here is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You could eat from every tree in the garden, but don't eat from this tree. Why is God doing that? Adam, prove your love. I'm not going to force you to be a robot. You have a choice to obey or to disobey. And with Adam and Eve, therefore, God, Adam chose to disobey. But there is this free will there. 
there is this freedom that we need to say, hey, nobody is putting a gun to your head to say you need to love God. In fact, it's the opposite. God is giving all of himself to us. Would you respond back? We'll get to that. Third, uh, William Barclay says it's providence. Providence. There's this theory that God made the world and it's a watchmaker analogy. That God made the world and he just lets it run. And it's tick, 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 tick. Things are going by itself and he's just watching from afar and going, oh, that's nice. Or, oh, that's terrible. We don't believe in that. We believe in a God who engages the world. A God who is involved with us. God doesn't sit afar and just condemn us, point at us, criticize us. But God is involved with us. So when we pray the Lord's Prayer, for example, we, we hear a God who is engaged with us. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You, you, we hear a God who engages us. Philippians 4.19, Apostle Paul says, And my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ. What does that say? God is involved. Friends, at home right now, God's providence out of his love is that he may not answer every prayer the we, way we like, but God is involved with us, hearing our prayers, walking with us, longing to be in step with us. Proverbs 16, 9, one of my favorite verses, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes steps. God is engaged in your life right now. Wherever you are, whatever is happening, God is not afar. God is a prayer away. He's active, and God is engaging still. Two more. Fourth is redemption. When God is love, redemption means that God will not leave us to suffer in the consequences of our sin. And I say hallelujah because almighty God, if he wasn't there to save me over and over again and save me once and for all from my sin, what would my life be like? Certainly I would not be a pastor. And sometimes that that's, could be a joy. But sometimes it could be this idea that, my goodness, God loves me so much to turn me from death to life. In verse 9 of today's reading, we read this, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Wait, in what? How was the love of God manifested to the world? How do we know that God loves us? And some of us say, well, I got an A in my test. God loves me. Well, what if you got a C? Does that mean God doesn't love you? Well, God loves me. I got a job, and, and he answered my prayer. God is so loving. He's amazing. But what if God didn't open that door? Does that make God less loving? So the Bible tells us there's one way for sure we can know that God loves us. And the way he manifested it in verse 9 is, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. If we ever doubt that God is love, there is one thing and only one thing that we need to look at. And that is the cross of Jesus Christ, where his only son died for us, clung to it, nailed to it as a sign of love. This is, in fact, our Easter theme and our poster uh, banner in our church shows it, that this is love. Not because a consumeristic Western American Christians get what we want when God is providing us with money and wealth. That's not love. Love is despite, I could be poor, broken, and all things are falling apart. Yet with my eyes I will see God, as Job says. For us, yet with my eyes I will see that Jesus Christ died and rose again. In his redemptive work, you and I know 
once and for all, God is love. So this is why in verse 18, when you have that, there is no fear of judgment. Why? Because Jesus Christ covers me. His love saved me. And John writes, there, there is now no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This is why John says, perfect love dries out fear. We don't have to worry about the wrath or death of God, of, of ourselves before God. Lastly, this is for many people who are grieving right now. William Barclay says the last thing is life beyond. Because God is love, many skeptics and scientists say, you know what? There is no God. Once we live and our heart stops, we're dead. We turn to dust, and that's it. And thanks be to God, if God is love, unlike these kind of skeptical, cynical, or just theologies that some people hold, there is something beyond our great world. There is a life beyond this time. That all suffering, all pain, is not going to be redemptive. It's going to be restored to life because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That life continues even after we physically die. Why is that happening? Because God is love. He permitted, he allows us to engage and to have this. I mean, if you think about it, he could have just snapped his finger and we don't exist. But in Jesus Christ, he gives us this opportunity to engage in love forever. That's, that's why there's a banquet in heaven. That's why the Lord Jesus is up there building a house and with rooms and preparing a table for you and me. Why? Because God is love. God doesn't weigh us like a robot and says, you are good, you are bad, here, you get this. That's the, that's a modern view that God holds our good and evil and then weighs it if our good is good and he lets us in. But that's not redemption. That's not even truth. We're all sinners falling short of the glory of God. We have no hope apart from Jesus Christ who gives us redemption and who gives us life beyond this life. So this is our God. Uh, we don't worship a code entity. When we come, we don't say, oh, well, Sunday I have to go to worship. I, I look forward to it almost like I look forward to seeing my mom and dad. Like, hey, I can't wait to see them again. So we gather together with others in doing this. In fact, we do this every day. We wake up in the morning. God, I can't wait to spend time with you because you're a God who is love. And God, my heart is saturated, it's pulled apart, it's angry, it's bitter, or it could get resentful. I need to remind myself of your love because your love gives me love. So God is real as the air we breathe, and God allows us to experience love and to be transformed in his love. This is why uh, verse 20 says, if anyone says, I love God, uh, by the way, John is calling out the church and Christians. This is to Christians. This is not to non-Christians. To Christians who say, I love God, which is all of us at one point, and hates his brother, he is a liar. You calling us a liar? Yep. That's what John is calling us. Not because he's accusing us. He's showing us a, the contradiction. It is impossible for you to be devoted to God and live in hatred towards anyone. It's impossible. It's a contradiction. It's a paradox. So he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In other words, the way we fall into love is see God's love for you and let that transform your love for others. Um, so how do we love everybody? 
It was actually the verse right before it, verse 19, and I'll highlight it, underline it. This is probably, this is my personal favorite part of this whole text. We love because he first loved us. Would you say that with me out loud? We love because he first loved us. So, so you hear it. There's a logic there. My love for others is fueled and given by only one reason. And it's not my superiority. It's not my kindness. It's not my, you know, I'm a, I'm a decent human being and I should love. No, I can't love apart from God's first loving me in Jesus Christ. So, this past week, eight people were gunned down at three different locations in Georgia. Six of them were Asian women, and people say, oh, it was just, uh, they were so quick, especially the, one of the sheriffs, to say, oh, he was, he, he's just having a bad day, and he had sex addictions, and he wanted to stop it. And for the Asian community, for those who are not Asian, that really was a spear in our heart, and it enraged us, the immediate dismissiveness. And we realized, no, you don't just select three different locations for that and, and target knowing who the employees and the owners are. And so in the backdrop of rising hostility towards Asians, it made me think, I am angry. I am so livid because I picture my mom or my mother-in-law or just somebody walking down the street and somebody punching them in the face and running away or robbing them. And as a, if I can do with you, it makes my blood boil. And so the question challenge this week was, for the 69-year-old Sun Cha Kim, 63-year-old Young A Yu, 51-year-old Hun Jung Grant, 74-year-old Sun Chung Park, 33-year-old Delena Yan, 54-year-old Paul Michaels, who was there installing security cameras, 49-year-old Xiao Jie Tan, and 44-year-old Da Yu Fang. How do we look at this in the context of God is love? It's difficult. It was difficult. And so how do we love in this? How do we love when there's injustice or racism or there is in our brothers and sisters who are the black community? And, and it doesn't mean the white community is evil. It means that we live in a world where we do not know how to really get along. And we're seeing these trends just coming back and forth. How do we love? And so the wrong way to love is to say this was a mistake, you know, We'll certainly pray for him, and we hope that this doesn't happen again. We need to name it. We need to name these things and say, this is egregious, this is evil, and this is wicked. And it's this he acted out on it, but it's in all of us, where we look down at one another for a class, economic class, or ethnic city. But we look at this situation, and husbands lost wives, children lost moms. So how do we look at this? As we name it, we go back to 1 John chapter 4. And if God is love, I find comfort in this, and I hope to encourage you with this, that there is still hope because God is love, even in rising tragedies. The hope is that one day evil will end because Jesus Christ will return. The hope is that justice in God's love will prevail for all people because God is a God of justice as well as mercy. That in God's love, we speak out and condemn evil. We don't sit back anymore. We point to it. We name it because Jesus was the one who was condemned by injustice and evil. And in God's love, we grieve over this injustice and find refuge 
back again in Jesus Christ to say, Lord, this hurts. But you know injustice. You know evil. For that's how you were tried and carried to the cross. And so in God's love, we can actually pray. In God's love, we can actually extend hope to others who need the hope of Jesus Christ. And only in God's love, not because we're better, not because we got it right and they're the wicked ones, but because there was a God who saw the fallenness of sin, simple world, he gave us his son, that we love through that. It doesn't mean we're pacifists, and it certainly doesn't mean we're going to just let it go. What it means is we're going to fight this through God's love for us, and we're going to engage, and we're going to change the world as Mother Teresa said, be the change you want to see in the world. Well, we take God's redemptive work in us, and we are the change that God has given in the world because of Jesus Christ. This is the hope we have because in the end, when it's all said and done, God is love. I pray for you. I pray for those who are suffering. And we hope that in this time, we can gather together in that peace.